Hi, I'm Matt Hayward, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to another edition of He Shoots, He Draws podcast with me, Dave Clayton, and the man who I've heard this week I listened to a podcast and this is the only person I've ever met that says your name properly. Dave Cross says Glyn Dewis. Yeah, he does, he, you're right. He, he's the only person who gets your name bang on. I know, I know. Glenn. It's Glyn Dewis, not Glenn Davis and not Glum, whatever it is. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's Hello, you. Mate. Hello, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of throw that one in there. Yeah, thank uh, you very we- much, Dave Cross. <laughs> <laughs> We're back this week. It's the pair of us. We've got an, a great interview. And this was one that oh, yeah. somebody we've wanted for a while. And like with most guests, it's th- the worst thing you can do is just think, we want them on, contact them, be on the podcast. And it's a little bit too aggressive. We like to kind of get to know the person and then find a time that's right where we've connected. And and this guy's no exception. He's just one of the nicest guys we've met in the industry. Absolutely is. And obviously folks will know that it's a guy called Matt Hayward from the very, very start of this episode. Now, I'll be honest, I mean, I think I can speak for both of us that we kind of thought that Matt was purely just the Adobe stock guy. You know, that's what we kind of thought. But man, is there more to him. I mean, Adobe, working at Adobe is just one part of him, the other side. Uh, the celebrity and concert photographer so is just immense. And I knew, having seen him recently in the stories we chatted about at the bar, I knew this was going to be a good episode. And But man, it's a good episode. <laughs> he is a literal iceberg, isn't he? Like that top bit that, that you see, that's the Adobe yeah. stock. But this massive body of work underneath that kind of sits under that. Because like he said, it's not like he has this job and that job and that job. It's like, you know, we found you have to put in the hours you have to put in the years and get mm-hmm. the experience to justify that position and you know and working for adobe and being an evangelist is a really big thing but man the you know the stories he told were we were just i mean when we've spoken to matt he's had his crime laughter he's got a great sense of humor he's got as he yeah. says he's got a british sense of humor but yes. just when you hear the stories he tells that you know the hours he's put in and you know and this stuff doesn't just yeah we've said it before these gigs don't just come along by luck you work and you earn them and i think you'll learn a lot from listening to what matt says about his career absolutely and and again this there's so much in this episode i mean yeah there are the stories so if you like stories that involve celebrities and a little bit behind the scenes kind of stuff there's a bit of humor in there you're gonna love it However, other stuff that Matt talks about, which is a real big lesson for everybody, is how to present yourself professionally as a photographer. That's one message that you really get from this. But also, because there is the Adobe side to to Matt and what he does, the Adobe stock. Now, I'll be honest, I've come away from this interview and it's made me want to go and say, right, I must put some stock up on Adobe stock. Because I've got hard drives full of stuff that's just sitting there, doesn't see the light of day, when potentially... That could be earning money. Now, Matt has really motivated me to look more into doing the Adobe stock. So if anybody's got any kind of inkling of interest in that, again, definitely listen to this episode. Oh, mate, we've got to put the editor up just to test it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? That's just sitting on a hard drive now. So, yeah. yeah. It's like Matt said in the actual episode there. If you put it up and it doesn't sell, what have you lost? Exactly. 
But Alf, I, I just love the thought that someone might buy that picture after all these years. <laughs> the first picture we did, we, we've got to put that up and see if anyone ever buys it. Just yeah, ne- never I, mention I, it, just I, leave it. I will I will try it. But you know, one of the things I... Because I, I, I actually asked this, didn't I, during the episode, was when it comes to doing stock, because I know a few people that do stock and actually you know make a fairly good living out of doing it. And I know that some of them who do it do quite a lot of editing. But getting Matt's inside view and inside opinion about what sells, what doesn't sell, what gets accepted, what gets rejected, I know that when I do put some up, and I am going to do this, I won't be doing any editing apart from just a couple of slides. That's it. A couple yeah. of sliders, a bit of boosting this, a bit of clarity, a bit of sharpness, job done. Well, thing, like you said, there's nothing to lose. If you've got images on a hard drive, just pop them up. See if they yeah. get a grief. They go in there, let them sit there. You might get a check for 10 cents. I mean, Matt, I did see Matt do a presentation at Photoshop World where he got up and introduced himself and he showed a, I think he showed a photograph of a check he got and it was like 10 cents and he said, but that was the first thing I ever sold. That was yeah. that was the one. And obviously, like anything, it's not an overnight success. You have to build it up. But, you know. But but now he says it, it forms a very healthy part of his income stream. So yeah. there's definitely, you know, there's definitely something in it. It's no use sort of thinking about it. Might as well just do it. Every day's a learning day, Glyn. It is. Every day's a school day. Yeah. Anyway, it's <laughs> so enough of us. I'm yes. going to throw it over to you and do our usual start. Folks, if you don't know who this guy is, you really will do after this. He is one of the nicest guys we've both had the opportunity to get to know and have a chat with. So I'm just going to bring it in with Matt. Who are you? Hey, Glenn. So I'm Matt Hayward. I'm a full-time photographer based in Seattle, Washington, who happens to work at Adobe, working with photographers and videographers at Adobe Stock. And so I am an Adobe artist evangelist. I travel the country in America speaking about Adobe Stock And when I'm not doing that, I have the camera in my hands. I shoot a lot of entertainment and events, celebrity portraits, live music, red carpets, that sort of thing. And and whatever else I can shoot whenever I can. How on earth do you fit all that in? (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I don't sleep. Uh, I have a wife and two daughters as well. And so my my wife uh, would say that I don't fit it all in, that I'm uh, not very good at time (laughs) management. But... uh, I was just going through my calendar today for the month of October in between, you know, a couple of trips to New York and all this stuff. I've got about 14 concerts lined up and some other things. And wow. That I haven't told my wife about that yet. Maybe she'll listen to this podcast and that's how she can find out. <laughs> I'll be in a whole another state. She does listen. Because... She does listen. She's co- She writes us all the time. I know. She does. <laughs> 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 it's the photos she sends that bothers me, but it's all good. Me and Dave have wanted you on the podcast for for a long time. In fact, it's probably since going back a few Photoshop worlds ago when we all started to get to meet up and kind of be aware of each other, I guess. But even more so, have we wanted to get you on ever since we had a chat just a couple of months or so ago now. In fact, it wasn't even that long, was it? No, no. Uh, just about, God, time doesn't fly. Well, we on. saw each other in Orlando <laughs> first. Yeah, we saw each other yes. in Orlando, but then obviously we've seen each other since, Matt, and we had a conversation in a bar, and I found out stuff about you that I thought, I never knew that. Because I think it's fair to say, and I think, Dave, maybe I, I can speak for you here as well yeah. initially, is that when we when we kind of got to know you at the very start – we only really thought that there was the Adobe world to you, you know, the, the Adobe stock. We thought that's what you did. Sure. But that is clearly just a just a real small part of what you do when we talk about the other stuff. 
It, it is. It's a good part, though. I mean, I, I truly have my dream job. I It's uh, it's a dream come true. When I, I was working for Fatolia, which was the stock agency that Adobe acquired to create Adobe Stock, and to be honest, I, I was working with customers, doing customer service and f- shooting as well on the side. When Adobe acquired Fatolia, I thought, oh boy, I'm in big trouble. You know, they're going to acquire this small company and then we're all out the door. But uh, they realized I was very passionate about photography and about photographers and, and doing my best to help people succeed, even when that wasn't my role. And so they created a position for me uh, to work with photographers. And then since then, the, the, the role has evolved and they've been very, very supportive about my personal photography business because it really helps me to uh, have empathy for, you know, I know the pain points. I'm, I'm walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And so it's really a, a good uh, mix of this, you know, this kind of corporate life with Adobe and then also my creative work as a photographer. That way I don't get too bored because I, I do tend to have a short attention span. So I like to keep busy and, and have a diverse <laughs> mix of things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, well, I mean, talking about that sort of things there, then we've you've had this uh, where Adobe have kind of taken you on board because they've seen how passionate you are about what you do and how you deal with customers and so on and so forth. One thing that Dave and me were talking about literally just before we came on air was sort of saying, I'm really interested to know the transition that you've been through to now be working for this huge company, which doesn't just mean that you are dealing with customers, but you are like forward facing on stage doing, you know, presentations and stuff like that. How, how have you found that, first of all? Well, terrifying, to be honest. I had absolutely no desire of any kind whatsoever to stand in front of large groups and speak. And as uh, as time has progressed, my title has evolved to being an evangelist, where that is all that I do almost. And uh, that's, that's an exaggeration. I, I do a lot of emails and answer um, tickets, support, you know, questions from contributors that come in and forums. But my, you know, my most public facing um, job is on stage, which is just something that just terrified me going into it, to be honest with you. And so, you know, I'm getting some more, more presentations under my belt. So I'm getting more comfortable with it. And I've been doing a lot, you know, Photoshop World and Photo Plus Expo and Imaging USA and a number of shows. Adobe Max was a really big hit last year. And so I'm going back there again this year to do it. And so as... That's just a I'm, small one though, isn't it? Adobe Just Max. a small one. Like oh my gosh. I, I, it just like, oh, they, so they, they wanted to record it because uh, I did two presentations last year and it, they put it up on YouTube at 1.2 million views in like five Whoa. minutes unbelievable it was just uh it disturbs me on a on a high level <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but let's just get it out there i'm not gonna be there so what i am i know you are okay. that's why i've said it i thought i'd make it even i want you dave wasn't at photoshop but i'm not gonna be at max so now we're even dave all right it was so confusing Which, to see you at Photoshop World, Glenn, without Dave, and now I'm going to see Dave at Max without you. It's very confusing to me. So I know. it's right. like at least Wallace it's without out. Gromit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's some British humor right there, but I get it. <laughs> good, good man, good man. So how have you so, c- to continue on that thing of pre- presenting? Because obviously Glenn's done it a little bit longer than I have, and I've only I only started doing stand up presenting when I was fifty. And that was at Photoshop World. And I've only done it sort of the past three 50? years now. 50, yeah. Wow. How old a man are you? I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, f- well, 53 now, 54 in November at Max. So my birthday will be while I'm at, while I'm at Max. But it's so, like you, something I never wanted to do. But obviously through a series of circumstances, I, I found myself in a position where I was doing it. And I started off with like 50 people. 
you know, then it, I think the most I've had in a room is a couple of hundred, but it is definitely different doing to teaching. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what is interesting, though, is I've really started thinking about teaching while I'm shooting now. I did a presentation at uh, Photoshop World for the first time on, on concert photography. So my entertainment photography business isn't just concerts, but in Seattle, that really is a big part of the scene. And so I shoot a lot of live music. And so I did a presentation for that. And I was uh, shooting a country music festival at the Gorge Amphitheater at the beginning of August and st- and was taking pictures and having other photographers, hey, take a picture of me just acting like a Hanyak over here, you know, and so to put into the presentation. So it's made me, I'm thinking about it in advance as far as instead of just uh, taking stuff that I had already done in the past. And I'm shooting stock. I was just in Alaska this up to until the day before yesterday, uh, fishing and grizzly bears and almost getting eaten and all that fun stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a good stock opportunity, a good story to tell on stage. So it's like, it's all kind of coming together pretty well. I remember you saying you were, you were going to be going out there, having some time out and doing that, uh, the grizzly bear stuff. Did you get did you get the kind of pictures that you wanted to get when you're out there? I, I did. I, I almost. So the, the one shot that I wanted was at Brooks Falls with the grizzly on top of the waterfall, mouth open, fish just flying into the mouth. I got a couple of those, but the bear wasn't super cooperative and had turned to the left just a little bit. And so I couldn't quite see the whole face, you know, but... Uh, what they like. I know. But, uh, you know, I got a couple of good ones. That bear was huge. Oh, there's monsters out there. I mean, just giant. And they're so fast and agile. And they had me walk in. I, I don't know if you've ever been out there, Brooks Falls. They they give you 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 have to fly in on a on a on a float plane, tiny little plane from the seventies. That you know that was an adventure <laughs> in itself. And it was severe weather, and uh, landed the plane. And there's a bear coming right out on the beach. And so he had to turn the plane around because they don't want to disrupt them. And so then uh, finally he kind of moved on and. You go into the little ranger station, they give you a short class on bear safety in, in the likely event you're going to be, you know, approached by a bear. Like, oh boy. And, uh, yeah. And I'm by myself, you know. And so then I like, go, okay, have at it. And I immediately walked out and went the wrong direction. And another ranger found me like, where are you going, man? What are you doing? Like, oh, <laughs> that's bad. And there's bear crap all over the place with berries. And I'm like, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to walk like a mile and a half up, you know, isolated roads and they so they tell you to talk to yourself well they they assume in the class they assume that you're actually a social person going with other people so they say talk to each other or sing songs so you don't surprise the bears but it was just me and so i just had quite the conversation with myself uh you know <laughs> doing a dry run on my adobe max presentation that kept the bears away wow yeah it was cool though i know so i got a lot of Excellent. i shot a lot of pictures I was looking at it earlier, and there's a there's a good few shots. I mean, there's a good good enough shots of being close enough to a bear than I'd want to take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I got it. You know, I got out when you're when they're in the waterfall. You're on a platform, but then uh, I had to hike up to the. We had the weather was too bad to get picked up by the plane where he dropped me off, so I had to hike up to the other side. And um, there's another bear just right there by the plane. He's scooped out a fish. And so I had a 24 to 70 with me. I had my 400 I had left back kind of far. And so I went back to get the 400. Came out snapping some pictures of this bear. Really pretty, fall colors. And it's just sitting there real, you know, kind of had this expression of deep thought. And then just not paying attention to my surroundings, a huge bear showed up immediately to my left. I mean, 15 feet away. (laughs) I just like, I jumped out of my skin, man. I I moved way too fast. They tell you like, do not run and so on. And I kind of forgot that. But then I, you know, I got it back together and the bear just kind of looked at me and like its ears twitched a little bit. And then it turned its attention on that other bear with a fish and went and stole the fish. So I lived. 
had a couple of encounters like that. It was fun. So now you've been out shooting, Matt, obviously going from being a photographer to work to working what you're doing now, and you just said then about shooting for stock. Do you think your photography has improved because you now have that thought in your head or or do you just find it's just a natural part of the way you're shooting anyway? Well, I shoot a lot. I mean, I really do. Um, I sent my, I have a 1DX Mark II and I sent it in for a repair and the manager contacted me. He's like, whoa, man, you got a lot of clicks on this shutter. And he was recommending I change <laughs> out the shutter in advance. And uh, so I shoot a lot and I'm always experimenting and pushing myself. And so I, I find the stock is a good excuse for me to try something different that's out of my comfort zone. If I'm doing an entertainment job for, you know, I have a lot of corporate clients that I'm shooting for. I really have to go to my bread and butter, my, you know, the shots that I know are going to work. Once I have that in the bag, then I can kind of push the envelope a little bit and get creative. Um, But with stock, it's kind of like I do what I want, when I want, how I want. And so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But then when I figure out something new that does work, then I continue to uh, push myself in that direction. And so, I mean, I still have my pictures up that I submitted, uh, gosh, 14 years ago to Fotolia. And I mean, wow, can you tell when I discovered Gaussian blur and spot color and all like, oh my gosh, just because you can do something in Photoshop <laughs> doesn't mean you should do something in Photoshop. And Absolutely. Yeah. So I've left yeah. that stuff up there just because uh, I'm masochistic i guess because it's quite embarrassing when i see that stuff sell but i still cash the check you know <laughs> yeah, yeah i do yeah, yeah. i remember you at, i think it was a photoshop world briefing or an adobe max briefing and you got up and it was probably one of the first times i kind of met you at an event or saw you at an event and like you'd got up and said you know i've been doing this for 10 years i didn't make money overnight I've had to be, I think the, the photo you showed was, is it Jelly Beans or something was one of your yeah. most popular ones. But you've put the years into it. Yeah. It wasn't like you suddenly turned up, oh, I've been doing this for two years, it's going okay. You yeah. were like, yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years, I've been shooting and it's evolved. Yeah, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. You're not going to be able to upload a couple of pictures of a sunset and then retire off in the Bahamas. I mean, it takes effort. You've got to consistently upload and put relevant content, and and the demands are changing on a regular basis, and so you need to keep up with the trends. There's a lot more competition out there now, Um, but the market is so much bigger, too. It's just really grown, and Adobe has turned it into this massive marketplace. I mean, we're reaching every Adobe Creative Cloud customer in one form or another. I mean, it's it's really a fantastic thing. And then it's become that full marketplace where the creatives using Adobe software can submit their content to Adobe stock and earn money while they're doing it. In fact, this year, we just recently announced that um, Adobe artists that submit have 300 files approved. They get a free uh, year subscription to the Creative Cloud Photography Plan. And if you get 300 videos approved, we'll give you the full Creative Cloud uh, plan as a bonus. Wow. And so, And then there's so many... Uh, Adobe stock assets that are being used in Adobe marketing platforms and the, the artists are always, you know, accredited and, and um, different tutorials and things like that. And so it's really become, it's a very symbiotic relationship in which, uh, because without the artists submitting the content, Adobe stock doesn't exist. And so it's it's really, mm. it's, been a, it's, a, it's been a beautiful thing, to be honest. I mean, I saw the evolution of Fotolia from the beginning and then, you know, it's taken over by Adobe and it's turned into something, you know, even better. So, yeah, I love it. Well, one thing you mentioned just a few moments ago, Matt, was you said about 
uploading the kind of content that is relevant or kind of uh, wanted at this particular time how do you go about finding that out so that you know that what you're uploading is is likely to get looked at and maybe purchased how do you how do you do that well i see i mean i'm my eyes are in tune to stock like i see it out in the everyday world on the cover of books in magazine advertisements billboards things like that and so i can see the trends changing or even the um you know your instagram you get these sponsored ads and something catches my eye and I see it's got a, you know, a billion clicks on it. I know that that's, you know, this style, whatever, whatever that may be. And so there's certain things that, you know, those grizzly bears, there's a lot of great grizzly bear shots, you know, out in the world in that location. And those bears look virtually the same as they did a number of years ago, but people generally look different, right? Different makeup trends, clothing, hair, and all that kind of stuff is is different and evolving. Food is something else that's just constantly evolving and changing different diets, different trends. And so, and then just the general style of uh, images, you know, it, it changes. I, I generally tend to upload just a clean, sharp color version of my files. And so then the end user can put whatever funky filter they want on it to, to match their project exactly. But I see a lot of um, content going out with that kind of Instagram vibe, with that kind of muted um, tone. And then on the flip side of that, the really bright, vibrant, popping colors as well, stuff that really stands out in the search. But I'm constantly looking at stock all day, every day. I mean, it's my job. But then in addition to that, if I go to a store, I see stock images. Oh, you know, and I, I take notes in my phone and, you know, write down ideas when I get inspired for something. And Every now and again, I'll I'll take that out and you know try to create something, and then I you know I just shoot what I want also, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But my kids, my wife, my dog, all that good stuff. One of the videos that you put out recent, uh, I say recently, I I saw it. Uh, it might have been on Scott Kelby's blog. Um, and it was the one where you were talking about stock photography, and you were saying about you know you're going out with your camera, you're capturing these images, flick the video on totally, and while you're there catch some video as well because you're in the environment it's all there you like you say it's hit and miss but by capturing it at least all you need are those little 15 second clips yeah 30 second clips yeah exactly and really good like my camera it's you know shoots 60 frames a second in 4k it's like you don't need to do audio on on stock video clips five seconds long to up to 60 seconds you know they the video team recommends like between 15 to 25 seconds is kind of the sweet spot but yeah there's a big market for that. You're seeing stock video being used a lot more, you know, often. I was at, uh, I don't know, a big website, I think PayPal or something, and they had a video kind of rolling in the loop. And in the elevator at, at a hotel, I saw, you know, they got the little video loop going on. You see stock video around. And, and so it's out of my comfort zone still. I'm getting better at it. And I've been teaching myself Premiere Pro and, you know, putting a little bit more pop in those clips. And they sell. They don't sell as much as the photos do for me because I have, you know, 16,000 photos versus like 200 videos in my portfolio. But when they do sell, I sure do like to see those uh, royalties come in because they're pretty nice. So, yeah. This you know, I, this isn't the first time I've kind of heard this kind of stuff, but I am again now thinking, why haven't I done this already? I give up. Because I've got hard drives full of images that are literally just on a hard drive. Yeah, man. And they're not seeing the light of day. So it's doing think, nothing well, for why, you. You know, we've got nothing to lose by putting them up. Exactly. Worst thing that can happen is it doesn't sell and then it's no harm, no foul. I mean, what you could have some gold in there. You never know. And so it just takes that initial effort to get it put online and then it's there as long as you want it to be. You can take it down at any time, but uh, once you put it up there, your your work is done. Then it's up to us and our sales team to make sure that it gets put in front of the right people. So it does, like I said, it takes effort to get it online. You want to keyword your content, make sure you accurately describe it so the customers can find it. That's, that's 
the most important part of the process, in my opinion. Adobe Sensei, which is artificial intelligence built within the Adobe applications, will recommend up to 25 keywords for you if you upload content that doesn't already have keywords embedded. And so that's super helpful. But like I said, it's such a critical part of the process. I don't I wouldn't leave it up to Sensei to do it specifically. I get the recommendations, then I delete what's irrelevant, I add what's missing, and I put the most important keywords first because that's how the search engine works is the first keyword you list. The system considers that the most important, so it has the most weight in the search results. And so that's a real important part of the process. And then, you know, if you have people, images, you would need a model release and all that good stuff or, or recognizable property, you need a property release. But yeah, you get it up online and it's there. And then it's this passive revenue stream coming in. For, you know, I get sales every day, all day, all night. And I love that. It's my favorite part of the day. I get this notification that tells me how much I earned the day prior. And I don't just leave it up to that. I go and um, I check my stats all the time and see what's going on. It just seems crazy not to be doing this, doesn't it? It really yes. does. It, to me, it does. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a part of my life. I mean, it's a, it's a part of my revenue stream. I, you know, I don't pay all my bills with it, but I couldn't pay all my bills without it. So. All right. Well, listen, there is so much more we want to talk about. Obviously, the stuff that you're doing, your own kind of like concert and celebrity stuff. But before we do dive into that, just a couple of things that are making me think I need to ask is, number one, from somebody who's involved in the Adobe stock world, would you advise minimal retouching or editing on images? And number two, I'll get them out there quickly. Number two, you mentioned about property releases, model releases, and stuff like that. Now, is there anywhere that you would recommend people go? Or is that something? Because again, I haven't looked into this. Is this something that Adobe provide through the Adobe stock? Because again, I'd have no idea. Sure. Well, as far as minimal retouching, I say that's my personal preference is, you know, I think less is more, which always sounds funny from somebody that works at Adobe. But yeah, I think minimal post-process and get rid of blemishes, pimples, and, you know, bags under the eyes and things like that. If you're shooting people and I use the vibrant slider a lot in Lightroom. I very rarely use the saturation slider and, you know, things like that. You want it to pop, but you don't want it, you you don't want someone to look at the picture and say, "Oh, wow, that's some really cool post-processing." Because then that's not in my opinion a stock image, right? Cuz the designer is going to be able to do all that stuff. Same we have a lot of um, artists that try to submit black and white content, and more often than not that gets rejected by our moderation team because uh, when you do that, you're only reaching customers that want that content in black and white. However, if you upload the color version, it's very easy in any software. You don't have to have Photoshop to convert an image to black and white if that's what the designer wants to to have. And so you want to just give as many options as you possibly can to the end user, and that's going to increase your sales. And then as far as model and property releases, we do have a section at the Adobe Stock Contributor Portal. The link is contributor.stock.adobe.com. You just need an Adobe ID to create an account. You don't have to be a Creative Cloud member or anything like that. But if you are a cloud member, you can use that same Adobe ID. Um, Once you're set up in the contributor portal at the bottom of the page, there's a link that says Learn and Support. And that just opens up a plethora of information, all things stock. We put a lot of work into that. When uh, you go there, there's a section, a legal section, and that has information about model and property releases, including links to our model and property release, which you can print and, you know, have people sign it. I actually use an app called Easy Release. I keep it in my phone. It's, there's no affiliation to Adobe in, in any way, but it's very convenient for me because I got pretty disorganized with stacks of releases in various locations. So now it's all in my phone. The model, he or she can just sign with their finger, that, you know, and then it's emailed out to everyone in JPEG format That's you have to upload a JPEG release for it. But um, yeah, so in the legal section of that learn and support page or, you know, an outside app with as long as all the criteria is met, we're good. Yeah. So before we carry on, let's just have a quick word from our partners. 
We'd like to thank Flown.com for being a partner of He Shoots, He Draws. Flown make learning fun and engaging with an extensive library of pro tutorials for Photoshop, Lightroom and photography at all levels of expertise, from beginners to advanced. You can get started on Flown from just $9.95 a month, which gives you access to over 140 tutorials covering photo editing, retouching, compositing, software basics, photography and much, much more. There's new tutorials every month and you can cancel at any time. For He Shoots He Draws listeners, you can use code GETPRO20, that's G-E-T-P-R-O number 20, to get 20% off when you sign up. Check out flown.com today. Right, I want to I want to roll back now because this this is <laughs> this is Matt today, okay, and, and we've had this with a few guests. Is we we meet you in a situation where you are in the environment that everyone's going to know you for. But let's just roll back to fifteen year old Matt, <laughs> straight out of, back at school. I mean, why photography? What led you down that path? Ha, you know what? It's, it's you're not far off. Fourteen. Well, my grandfather was a photographer to start with, and so I was always, you know, always intrigued by him with his camera when I was just a little kid. And uh, there, there's great shots of my brother, sister, and I, you know, as uh, infants and toddlers, and and so that he sparked, you know, he had his dark room, and that really sparked the interest for me then. But uh, I actually went to seven different high schools when I was, uh, you know, in high school, and so at 14. I moved, you know, across town from Springfield, Oregon to Eugene, Oregon, and my parents had the bright idea to put me in a private school for the first time, a Catholic school called Marist High School. And where I came from was kind of a rougher part of town, you know, in Springfield, where they would... Is that you know, Springfield Elementary? Please tell me it was. <laughs> uh, Springfield Middle School is where I went. Yeah, oh. Springfield Middle. Sorry. But you know what? Matt Groening, is that a Simpsons reference? Yeah. Yeah, because Matt Groening, he based his, his he told me straight up directly that the uh, Simpsons were, is based on Springfield, Oregon. It's just the little piece of history there. But uh, mm. <laughs> so at Maris, you know, I'm a freshman starting high school, don't know one person in this, you know, in the private school organization, and they said, well, there's going to be a formal initiation of all freshman students. Well, where I came from, initiation was like, kids were cruel. I mean, they'd go to jail in this day and age where, you know, they'd tie <laughs> you up to a pole with duct tape, paint lipstick all over your face and pull your pants down in the middle, of, you know, and like brutal stuff, <laughs> push a penny around a toilet seat with your nose and all that kind of stuff. And something, oh my gosh, initiation, oh. this is terrible. I was terrified, literally scared. And I show up, and it's like the seniors, they put pie in the face of the kids and dump water on their head, but pretty, you know, reasonably harmless. Well, I brought my camera and was taking pictures, and what I found was the seniors would come up to me like, oh, get a picture of this, get a picture of this. And so they were like, I was a part of the senior group. I ran out of film, and I was still just like pretending to take pictures so that I (laughs) didn't get this. And so that's when I realized like the access and the the power of the camera, like people, you know, that was really a, a big moment for me. And so that was when it started. And then I continued on. I moved out at the age of 15, moved out of my parents' house, moved in with a rock band. And so I always had my camera there, some great, like just crazy stuff happening. And so that was just great fun. And one of my roommates was a uh, photographer, had a, a dark room in his space. And so, yeah, it, and then it just kind of evolved from there. But it was always something I was passionate about. I've got photo albums from when I was seven years old, just with little Kodak point and shoot stuff that uh, I enjoyed. When did, when did it become 
Uh, I mean, what jobs did you have at that age? When did it become a, uh, a full-time thing? Or did it ever become a full-time well, thing? Well, I was managing restaurants. So I got in the restaurant business at a pretty young age and evolved into managing restaurants for over 20 years. And so that was a, just a grueling job. 60 hours a week was a, a good uh, short week for me. And so there wasn't a lot of time to do it. And so after 20 years... Well, let me back up a little bit. At one point in time, we moved up from Eugene to, um, well, we moved to Vancouver, and then I moved up to the Seattle area and opened a restaurant up there. And the vice president of the company I worked for was friends with a wedding photographer named Corey Paris in Seattle. And so they, him and his family came into the restaurant. It happened to be when my boss, Jim, was there, and he introduced us. And I told him I was interested in photography, and he invited me to be a second shooter for him at some weddings. A prolific wedding photographer, fantastic um, wedding photographer, actually. And... And so then I, you know, went to a couple of weddings with him and really loved it. I, it, you know, easy for me to love when there's no pressure. I don't have to really deal with yeah, the clients. Yeah. I just show up and take pictures of whatever strikes my fancy. And then he taught me some Photoshop skills that have stuck with me to this day. A lot of the stuff that, you know, my, my secret sauce would do like a little duplicate overlay at 20% opacity or whatever, just to, you know, and I still do that on all my files and the unsure, just basic stuff, but um, really great. And so then I started doing my own weddings for quite a while, in addition to managing the restaurant. And in 2008, really, that peaked for me. I, I did, I was starting to travel for weddings. And then um, I, I'll be honest, I just hit a wall. I burned out on on doing the weddings. It's so much work. And, uh, you know, not just on the, the day of the shoot, but all the prep going into it, and then all the post-processing after and album design and all that fun stuff. And so uh, I walked away from that, and then after 20 years, I left the restaurant company I worked for, and during my midlife crisis, went to work for the Hard Rock Cafe, which was just the worst job ever. But uh, we opened a, a restaurant in Seattle that had a live uh, music venue, and prior to that, I was in San Francisco and uh, Sacramento, and Ingrid Michelson is this fantastic singer. I just saw she's coming back to Seattle now, and she did a live show there, and I snapped pictures of her and um, of her show, and then after I was talking to her, and some of the executives were wanting pictures with her, and so I did that, and said, oh, can I get one? And so I gave my camera to a guy and had my arm around her, and then a song came on, and we started moving, and she put her hand on me, and we started dancing on stage. And I thought, wow, this concert photography stuff is awesome. You know, I'm dancing with the <laughs> singer. And so that's never happened since, but it got me into it right then. And so I started shooting at the Hard Rock as much as I possibly could. And then a radio station hosted an event in Seattle, and I sent them my pictures, and they liked those. And so then I started shooting for them on a really – I still shoot for them, 107.7 the N in Seattle and all the intercom stations with them. And um, and so that gave me fantastic access because that's the station. They broke Nirvana and Soundgarden. They have really a, a great reputation in the indie rock industry. And so then um, – you know, I was able to really interact with a lot of these bands and create relationships that I still have to this date. And that's really evolved. Since then, I got such good access. I was signed by Getty Images uh, to shoot, you know, entertainment in the Northwest and eventually to travel a bit, cover the Sundance Film Festival every year for them. And I was hired by the Oscars to, you know, be their photographer on the red carpet a couple of years ago. And, and that kind of, it's, you know, it's taken off from there, it kind of evolved. So there's you know, somebody says, how do you get into this? So, well, first you got to spend, you know, 23 years in the restaurant business and then, you you know, work your way from there. But <laughs> yeah. that was a long answer to your question. I'm sorry, Dave. I hope that didn't No, 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 no. That's much. what we want. It makes me wonder there because obviously you're kind of just rolling it off the tongue there. Oh, yeah, I got invited to shoot the Oscars. I do the, the Sundance Festival, blah, 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 blah. But the first thing that comes to my head when you say that was what 
have you done any kind of marketing or is it literally that people are drawn to you because of the results you produce and the way you are around people? I am not a good marketer. So no, I have not done much. Word of mouth is a lot. And then my, you know, being signed by Getty that, you know, I have assignment editors that send me to a lot of different um, things like Sundance, for example, you know, we have a, there's a big operation out there and not quite a few photographers and editors and all kinds of stuff. And there's just tons of private parties and, and things that they need photographers for. And so I do a lot of that. That's that's a fantastic week of just camaraderie with other photographers from around the world and then many, many fantastic encounters with A-list celebrities, which is terrific. So we don't get a lot of that in Seattle. And then, yeah, I've, I, I work hard. I show up early. I stay late. I produce good results. I'm polite. I dress well. You know, you have to be a professional. I see photographers show up at these, you know, big events and they look like slobs wearing cut off jeans and a tank top, you know, and you can't do that. Even if your photos are fantastic, you're embarrassing your client in front of their boss when you, when you, you know, do that. Sometimes they almost, it seems like they care more about how, how you behave than the actual picture. As long as, you know, you got to get at least something that's usable, but, um, I, I'm, I work very, very hard. It's not uh, not something I take lightly. I, I know that there are a thousand guys right behind me that are just ready to take over if I slip up, you know, and so... Well, I remember one of the things that you mentioned when we were chatting, uh, when we had that time at the bar there, you, you kind of said that you do occasionally get when you are requested to come and take the pictures by a celebrity or whatever they because they know you now a lot of them are knowing you they're you're finding you're getting requested right I, I, I am it's which is great you know I love that and I get good access uh, generally speaking I, I did uh, I was exclusive for Bruno Mars for a few shows which was really spectacular he went through my pictures personally after the Seattle show oh, and Matt you've got to tell that story because you told me about it when he was it was really funny oh he'll only want this many pictures or whatever what was that story again yeah he uh well he doesn't allow photographers at his show for one thing like he doesn't need the press right he's a big star and and just doesn't need it and so um they distribute images to press outlets from the show because you know, the outfits are generally the same and, and whatnot. And so in the choreography and all that, well, they had changed outfits in the middle of the tour and didn't have new pictures. So I got a call the night before uh, for my assignment editor in L.A. asking if I could cover the show in Seattle. And I was like, heck, yeah. And so I showed up and met the manager <laughs> and he gave me the, the rundown and said, you know, shoot what you want from where you want. But just make sure you have the photos ready at the end of the show because Bruno's going to walk off the stage. The first thing he's first thing he's going to do is take your computer. He's going to go through those pictures and approve um you know what he likes and he said chances are he's going to take one maybe two he said there's a chance he might not take any you know he's he's very hands-on with his image and with the tour like he as i understand it is really really involved in every aspect of this tour and it's like oh gosh and so i'm shooting my ass off <laughs> pardon my french and real and running back and forth i'm just covered in sweat running backstage and and dumping memory cards and editing as quick as I can and and so the manager had wanted like 20 I had 100 edited pictures ready to go at the end of the show and it's like oh that's just too many so he starts going through them Lightroom you know deleting unpicking what I had already you know what I picked you know go through a handful unpick this one 10 more unpicking he's like oh dang these are these are really good and and so he knocked it down to like 70 and so then show ends Bruno takes a computer goes in the dressing room they're in there for like a half an hour and I'm just going oh man this is nerve wracking your browser history yeah right oh my god imagine something some chat pops up or something hey Matt what are you doing like oh the worst well, so Sean comes out, you know, and he's just shaking his head. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm screwed. And he goes, dude, he loved these pictures. And he took over 20 for that first show, which is like a beyond a record. And wow. uh, maybe 30, I don't know, lots of pictures. And um, 
And he said, hey, so we've got two shows at the Staples Center in L.A. this weekend. He wants you to come down. Are you available? I said, heck, yeah, I'm available. So I <laughs> flew down, covered those two shows, got a great shot. Lenny Kravitz in the crowd, like, dancing. And Tom Hanks was on outside stage just dancing with his family and stuff. Like, this kind of surreal experience, just that was a, that was a highlight of my concert career for sure. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And there, I, there's been so many really great experiences I've had. I, there's a band called Caged Elephant that's my very favorite band to photograph. Um, I've been shooting since the beginning of their, you know, rise to where they are now. They're getting pretty famous in the U.S. And um, if you ever get a chance, if they head out to the U.K., you, you have to go see them. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. But good access there. My favorite band when I was – you would ask what I was like as a teenager so I moved out, moved into the rock band to go back to that. I had a mohawk about a foot and a half tall and was a total <laughs> punk rock kid. Like just my parents were so proud. And uh, so I was really into music and James We've addiction. so got to use that picture for the show graphic. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have a good one. Yeah, it's bad. Unbelievable. It's, yeah. Anyway, I had eyeliner and... All my roommates' girl girlfriends were uh, hairdressers and whatnot, and they would compete to see who could make my hair stand up the tallest and you know and stay up the longest. So it was, you know, it was out there. Anyway, Jane's Addiction was my very favorite band through that time. So I played the cassette tape for the album Nothing Shocking over and over and over again. I still consider it my favorite album of all time. And um, so I was shooting for a radio station up in uh, at the Gorge Amphitheater in eastern Washington, which is a fantastic venue. And I had a little office set up backstage, and it happened to be that Jane's Addiction was stationed right next to me. And so Stephen Perkins is the drummer. He was just kind of hanging out, and I went up to him and became kind of a – did a little bit of a fanboy thing, which I generally never do. I always stay very professional, but this band really changed my life. And so I told him that. I said, hey, man, you know, you guys changed my life in rock and roll. I told him about the show. I'd seen blah, blah, blah. And I said, I've shot you guys a number of times, but I can never get good pictures of you on the drums because your kit is so high. He's like, oh, well, just sit behind me during the show and take pictures from there. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> so I'm on stage. If you insist. <laughs> Unbelievable. So that kind of stuff happens and you just you got to pinch yourself because you think you're, you're dreaming, you know. The- there was one thing I remember you mentioned and you kind of made me think about it again. Then you mentioned Tom Hanks. And this, this kind of, I remember when you first told me this, it made me think about how you are again around people, the professionalism in what you do. Because there was something that happened uh, with you and Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, I remember the story. I was going to the backstage at Staples Center to get in for that show, and he was coming out, and I had my cameras on me, and uh, there's paparazzi out at the front of the venue. And so he saw me, he's kind of, he saw me, and then he immediately averted his eyes, looked away, and kind of started jogging off. And as I understand it, a lot of my friends in New York and L.A. that have photographed him many times all consistently say he's the best with photographers, very engaging. So obviously he had something to do, somewhere to be, but I'm not a paparazzi, and so I just had kept my cameras down. But then when we were side stage later on, we kind of had this eye contact, and there was this moment of recognition. He's like, oh, you are supposed to be here, and and so on and so forth. So that was, you know, it was kind of an interesting thing. The closest I come to being a pap is at Sundance when on Main Street there, there are um, celebrities walking up and down, but they're all dressed, they're, they're camera ready. And I always will say, hey, do you mind if I grab a quick photo? And they always thank me for asking them and they always say yes. And I get a nice little shot and we have a three second encounter and then we move on about our business, you know. It is weird when you're in an environment where you are around people like that and i'm not going to name drop the ones i've been around but th- there's been some good ones and you just nailed it on the head there is 
and this is for the industry because uh, Alan Hess has also said it because he obviously knows you from the music scene. It's right. how you behave. It's, you know, your personality comes into it. Like you said, you dress appropriately, you behave, you're polite. Yeah. But there's a lot about that kind of uh, unspoken communication that carries you further and, like you say, behaving properly. And when you are around people like celebrities that you can't be phased by them. Um, you know, Dickie Pelham, a sports photographer in the UK, he's a big, you know, obviously England fan and he's out there shooting the World Cup. He said, I can't be a fan. I have to be right. a photographer. Yeah. And, it, and that is something you see people make so many mistakes because uh, they become a fanboy. The camera goes down. Can I get a selfie? That's it. Yeah, it it drives me crazy. Or, you know, different festivals, there's a lot of young photographers that show up and they'll be dressed like a festival goer and cameras down or they have a cell phone and they're dancing and rocking out. It's like, great that you're having a good time. But there are, you know, 10,000 people behind you that actually paid for their tickets and have been there all day long, if not all night to get there and you're blocking their view and it's it's just disrespectful to the profession in my opinion like have a good time get I, I mean there are times there are some bands I mean Radiohead I shot Radiohead I was never really into them and man I left that show a changed man I, I enjoyed it very very much but I kept my camera up and was taking pictures and was not you know you know when I was on stage with Jane's Addiction I certainly wasn't you know moshing out there didn't jump out and do a stage <laughs> dive just because i could although i did do a stage dive with them in the 80s and uh it was the first and only time i ever tried it i got up on stage jumped around a little bit and then jumped into the crowd and everyone moved out of the way and i landed right on the concrete <laughs> <laughs> so never again if you get up like i meant to, i meant to do that <laughs> yeah exactly i'm cool i'm cool <laughs> so have you have you had someone because i've got two questions here one is going to be like who's who do you think is your your achievable bucket list of people you want to shoot but also who's the closest you have come to where like the camera's gone a little bit trembly in the hand because you have been a little bit like wow that's who you know whoever whether it's a musician or an actor have you come close to being like geek it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean paul mccartney was a that's a you know pretty iconic performance and then he so he played it it was then called Safeco Field in Seattle. Now it's T-Mobile Stadium. And they um, and so you, you shoot three songs, and that was from the soundboard. Well, then they the Live Nation rep said, hey, there's a surprise coming at the end of the show. Um, they want you to cover that. Can you, you know, do you mind staying? And you can watch a show from the side stage. I'm like, well, okay, let me think about it. I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> and so I shot my three songs from the soundboard and then went side stage. And then the remaining members of Nirvana came out on stage and Paul McCartney did the vocals for Kurt Cobain and like really strong stuff. And so that was exceptional. Um, last year I was in New York and a friend of mine said, hey, you know, Foo Fighters are playing at Madison Square Garden tonight, right? And I, and I didn't know that. And I'm not crazy about the Foo Fighters music. I love Dave Grohl and he's just like hard, old school rocker, rock and roll. And um, so I made some phone calls and got approved to shoot that. And so then, you know, walking through backstage at Madison Square Garden, getting to snap pics of this show, that was cool as heck, you know. And so there are definitely big moments that um, that I've experienced. That Jane's Addiction thing was probably the biggest. Nine Inch Nails, just photographing Trent Reznor a couple of times. That's, you know, big for me and that, you know, the Radiohead thing. Um, I've had these fun encounters as well where uh, the year before last I was shooting Netflix was my main client at uh, Sundance and they were releasing a film called A Futile and Stupid Gesture and it had uh, 
Joel McHale and a number of people in it. It was a National Lampoon, the story of how National Lampoon came to be in the 70s. And so there's like, you know, Joel McHale, I think, played Chevy Chase and somebody was playing John Belushi. Well, uh, Emmy Rosam, she plays Fiona on the show Shameless, the American version of the show Shameless on Showtime. And um, I had not seen the show before. That she she came to the showed up at this pre party and I snapped a few pictures and wanted to do a, a portrait and she wasn't feeling that and so then we went to the next event which was um, they did this kind of a live comedy sketch and so I got some pictures and she took uh, she got one of the pictures that I had taken of the group and put it on her Instagram and it had a, a gazillion likes and you know no time flat but my name wasn't on there so the next night I was working with them again. And uh, we were in the green room before the premiere of the film. And I told her, I walked up and said, hey, uh, that's so cool. I saw you got, uh, you were able to use my picture for your Instagram. And she says, oh, did I tag you on that? So no, but that's no big thing. She goes, no, hang on a second. She took out her phone. What was your name again? Matt Hayward photo. And she puts it in there and, you know, and tagged me on it. It was like so cool. And then since then, I started watching Shameless. I'm like, oh, thank God. I didn't see that show before photographing her because I would have been like, hi, Fiona, <laughs> go take your picture. I really like you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. There was one story. I'm, I was trying to rack my brains thinking what it was that you told me because there was so much. This is why I was completely off. And that's why we only went there for one drink. I think we ended up having two, didn't we? And they lasted we for ages. Yeah, that was soft. But, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there was one story, and I, I forget who the celebrity was, but you said about it was a female celebrity who said about you to take a photo, and then all of a sudden, there's some oh, kind yeah. of bodyguards noticed Selena you. Gomez. Can you tell us that one again? Yeah, oh, Selena right, okay. Gomez. I was shooting for Canon. Um, they have a craft services lounge with a lot of, um, the you know, where filmmakers come in and play with their gadgets and gizmos and all that good stuff. And so my job was to shoot the celebrities when they would come in. And so Selena G- Gomez came in, and she was like the hot draw at Sundance that year. She came in with William H. Macy and another actor. And... Uh, and so I waited. There's all this stuff happening with her, and there's kind of two sections of room and a short hallway connecting them. And so when she was done doing whatever she was doing, I asked her, hey, can we grab a couple of pictures? And she says, absolutely. And so it was so crowded where we were, we went into this uh, narrow hallway that connected the two rooms, and I shut the doors on either side. And then there's a bathroom in that hall. So I stood in the bathroom so I could have at least a little bit of separation so she wasn't completely fisheye warped, you know. And so I posed her, did the picture, and well, her she had a personal security guard with her because she was just being chased by paparazzi and autograph hounds and stuff outside. And he apparently didn't see our interaction and lost focus on his job for a minute and didn't know where she was. And so he slammed open the door into the hallway, saw her, saw me, shoved his hand over my lens like aggressively. She turned around and smacked him in the stomach full force. (laughs) Hey, man, he's trying to take my picture. Leave him alone. He's like, okay, (laughs) Selena, sorry. And that was a slump, you know. Yeah, that was a good one. Dragged his knuckles away down the hall. (laughs) Yeah, I've had some fun. I, I did a picture with uh, Mariah Carey. I did I shot for her for two days as well. There was um, like an event at a place called the Sugar Factory um, where we did photos. She had a like a Christmas line of candy and whatnot. And then uh, in her live show, we're out shooting her show just for her private collection. The picture's never seen the light of day, but great show. And um, and then there's a after party. It was after the Sugar Factory thing, and um, and so I was showing her boyfriend pictures of. 
of them. She's very protected. A lot of people around her that she's kind of unapproachable. And um, so I showed her boyfriend, like, hey, I got these pictures of you two up on stage. She's like, oh, wow, babe, come over here. And so Mariah's got my phone and she's going through the pictures like, oh, these are really good, you know. And and so then I, I again, I, I said I never fanboy, but I, obviously here's the second time I did it. I said, hey, would you mind if we did a quick photo? She's like, oh, sure, honey. And so I gave my phone to a <laughs> server and I had my hand around her back and um just very light, but there's two security guards on either side of her, and I feel this huge man's hand grab mine gently and lift it two inches off of her back, like, don't touch the merchandise. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird and one. And then he grabbed sure. your butt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I've got his number. Oh, that was a weird oh. one, man. That was that was out there. Another time, I'll just one more story, and then I'll get back to No, no, because I've got, I'm making me think of another one. Carry yeah, on, I've got go, one so. as well. <laughs> so Usher was performing. There's a lot of, sometimes there's these funky rules that happen, and sometimes they make sense, and sometimes not so much. Well, Usher, his stage was uh, kind of an A-frame type thing, and there's at the tip, they had a bit hot pink gaff tape on the floor, and they said, you know, you stay on, you know, stage right. And do not step over this line to stage left. And they had a they had a film crew on rollers doing that. And so that made total sense. And so I'm shooting. Well, he came out to the very tip and I just lost track of where I was and just barely stepped over that line to snap a picture. And his security just wrapped his arms around me in this big bear hug, picked me up off the ground and walked me back to the far <laughs> side of the stage, set me down and walked away without a word. I was like, it reminded me of being a small baby. It was very comforting, actually. <laughs> It was quite bizarre. I got the shot, though, so it was all, all worth that. He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by X-Rite. X-Rite bring you the very best professional color management tools in the industry, offering you the flexibility you need to easily achieve precise color every time. Check out the brand new i1 Display Studio and i1 Display Pro Plus, both enabling you to calibrate and profile desktop monitors, laptops, projectors, and mobile devices for consistent, accurate color. Each device uses its own simple and clear interface, giving you the most control and confidence that you'll always get the most accurate colors, the best blacks, shadows and dark colors with consistent monitor to print matching. Save time, money and frustration by using X-Rite's professional calibration tools. He Shoots, He Draws listeners can get 25% off by visiting xritephoto.eu and using the code COLOR25. That's C O L O U R two five. Right, uh, Glenn, I'm going to go in. So, go, Matt, go. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a question that I need the answer to. It doesn't have to be like your, you know, the answer. I just the answer is yes. Answer. What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> Will you take my portrait? No. Yes. <laughs> so the answer to this question leads to another question now this this might be something you don't want to answer in which case we, we i'm intrigued now so just name me one person now if somebody said phone call come and shoot this person you would put your children down and run out the door and go i need to i want to shoot that person mm. i'm not going to hold you to it i just need any name Okay, so there's. I've been doing a portrait series for years now. There was an old window that was in my grandmother's house, and it got taken down in a remodel, and it's like a six-pane 
window with weathered wood. And so I've been doing portraits behind that with celebrities, different musicians. And Sam Elliott, I did a portrait with. He's like, oh, that should be in a book. And then Kevin Bacon. I got a great story (laughs) with Kevin Bacon behind the window. But my dream is to get uh, Trent Reznor, the singer of Nine Inch Nails, behind that window because I I can see the portrait in my mind's eye, this like moody, dark shots. I would fly to New Orleans to do that. Um, I would love to do portraits with Tom York, the singer of Radiohead as well. So those are two like top tier. That'll do me. That's all I need to know. Now the awkward question. Oh, good. You get the phone call that says, Matt, I've got Trent Reznor. He wants his portrait taken by you. You need to do it this Wednesday, seven o'clock. You put, you go, absolutely. And there's probably some kind of swear word in there as well. You put the phone down. Then you get a phone call from Adobe. Matt, we need to speak you. We need you to speak at this event about Adobe <laughs> stock in front oh, of 200 people. Where does your bat? Where does this balance come? Because obviously you've got a personal business. You've got something that you do, and you've got an Adobe commitment. How do you balance that? It's a full 100% without question commitment to Adobe. Adobe.com <laughs> contributor.stock.adobe.com. <laughs> I, I am knew you'd all say that. company all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. My no. boss is listening. Okay, Kirsten, turn the mic off. Turn the turn the speakers off. No, if I'm if I'm committed, I'm traveling, and you know, my they're they're very supportive. Most of my speaking engagements are booked quite far in advance. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I did that trip to Alaska. I had booked that a year ago, uh, almost a year in November, and then a series of meetings came up in New York, and I had to miss. It killed me to miss these. You know, this event happening in New York. I was really bummed about it, but I, you know, I had a commitment to other people as well, and so I have, you know, but they're very supportive of that, and I'm really respectful of that as well. I don't book myself so much that I can't have some flexibility. And so it's it's a balance. But truthfully, my career as a photographer adds, uh, it, it makes me better at my job. For, you know, there's almost a, a layer of credibility, if you will. I mean, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes no, there's like, that. oh, you yeah. take pictures of, you know, Jimmy Carter. Well, gosh, you're, you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? There's something going on that, you know, it, it's so it helps me with my job. And so I can, cause I, again, I'm talking that talk, not just walking the walk. I am in, you know, I mean, this is arrogant, I guess, but I'm a legitimate photographer and I shoot stock because there's a lot of preconceived notions about what stock is. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. negative and I get that. I understand it, but I, I, I see past that and I shoot it and I'm doing quite well as a photographer and, it, you know, outside of stock, but I still love it. And it's, and it's a big part of my income stream, and it's a big part of my creative process as well. And so that's part of my story, you know, and that's it's part of my my spiel when I'm talking on stage as well. It's encouraging of you to say, or encouraging to hear you say rather, about the Adobe stock side of it is really does form a part of your income stream. Because I think a lot of people, and I know we're kind of going, just jumping back into that quickly there. A lot of people do uh, become despondent with it because they they think it's an overnight quick fix to get some money in. Whereas we've already said, as when you were talking to Dave earlier about, it is a long term thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. It's it's a it's it is it's a long term thing. But like I said, once you have your stuff up there, I mean, I've got pictures well over ten years old that are still selling to this date, and so you know, it's a residual income then, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's consistent. I just want to ask one quick thing, which is kind of a fun thing, uh, like a <laughs> some a perk of the job, let's say, for Adobe. Obviously, last year, I didn't get to go because I didn't want to join the queue of 8,000 people trying to get in. But did you get to shoot back? I, th- I thought about it. Um, but you know what? I wanted, I was pooped. And um, 
I didn't ask to get a credential. He's, I've, I have shot him a couple of times, including just last month, um, but I didn't shoot that show. I went, had a glass of wine, uh, had some friends out there, and we danced and rocked out, and I was just a fan at a show, which I very rarely do, and mm. it was a blast. And that guy, that's a great show. I'm, I'm not sure who's playing this year. I was looking in the max to see who's performing this year because, um, you know, they had Cage Elephant a couple of years ago. That's the band I was telling you about that I – you know, I'm just crazy about and actually Cage Elephant and Beck toured together this summer. It was just an awesome tour. And so I, I that that was one show that I just watched as a fan and, and enjoyed. If you had said who it was this year, we would have cut it out because I know it's not been released. Funny, there was a rumor that it would be 21 Pilots and somebody pointed oh. out it can't be because the night of the Max Bash, they're playing at San Diego. Well, I've photographed them since the beginning of their career, too. I've shot them, gosh, probably eight or nine times, I guess, over the past five years. That's a fantastic band. If they, There's two guys. They're, they're very serious about their music. Brothers. or No, nah, not brothers, but they're, they call themselves brothers, but they're, they're not. But they're just great guys and um, awesome live performance. But, man, this last tour they did. I shot and and they they got strict finally. They used to just be let me shoot the whole show from where I want. And this time it was like first two songs and they came out just pitch black. And the drummer came out Josh with a just a, a um, tiki torch. That was the only light. It was him? He had a mask over his face and holding a tiki torch. I'm like oh my god, ISO friggin' twenty four thousand six hundred hundredth of a second f two eight and it's still underexposed. You know, I'm like ah oh, gee wow. whiz. Um, yeah, you got to be ready when you're shooting music. You got to be ready for any kind of light scenario because sometimes the opposite's mm. true. You just get blasted with light, and you got to dial that down real quick. And yeah, always shoot manual. Well, the, there is a segment that we tend to do with every single guest that comes on. I know I haven't kind of given you the heads up on this. It's not. It's not bad, honestly. It's uh-huh. easy. Famous last words. However, however, <laughs> before we dive into it, can I just ask him to tell that story about Kevin Bacon? You've already you've said oh, I've got a really good story about Kevin Bacon. What is it? Okay. Real quick. So the window, I, I want this portrait set up. I, the Seattle Film Festival, I'm that, usually their house photographer. He was coming. He was being recognized for a, an award. And so I was doing some press. And so I said, I'd like to get a, a portrait session if that's if possible. And um, I said, sure. And so they set me up in a hotel room. And, um, and so I set up the window and had it all pre-lit and knew exactly what I wanted. Well, then I get a text message from his uh, publicist whom I had worked with another with other celebrities in the past and he says, Hey man, we are really behind schedule. We still have the time for you, but please, please, please be as fast as you possibly can. And so I had planned to like take the window down and do some seamless portraits and whatnot and, you know, maybe environmental by the window or whatever if I could. Um so so Kevin comes in, I introduce myself and I'm like, okay, I want you back here by the window behind the window and, you know, just kind of deep thought, look off into the distance and just kind of contemplating life, the universe and everything, whatever. And um, and so he does it and I snapped a shot and I snapped another one just to be safe. I'm like, okay, that's it. Cool. And he's like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, man. He goes, oh my gosh, that's my kind of photo shoot, man. Dude. And gives me a big old high five and a handshake. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and I walked out and the publicist turns around, looks at me and mouthed the words, thank you. And, so, oh, and then I got oh, tons of access to his next the next uh, actors that he had coming in the, the next rest of the week I had tons of access. So again, it's about being a professional and, you know, I got what I wanted. Luckily, I mean, he's a pro. He's obviously a fantastic actor. And so he, he saw immediately the mood I was going for and just gave me the look. So he, he made it very easy to do that. But, uh, 
you know, being prepared in advance. I've done similar stuff with Macklemore, who's a, you know, he's based in Seattle. And mm. I, I had the time, but he teased me because I said, hey, can we do a quick portrait? And um, after he got done doing some press stuff, he's like, yeah, sure. And so then I started pulling all these lights out to three soft boxes and a, um, an eyeliner reflector. And he's like, dude, you're never, he's like, you better get this on the first shot. If you don't, I'm out of here. And I'm like, oh gosh. And I looked real quick and my pocket <laughs> wizards were turned off. I'm like, oh crap. And I turned those on, snapped the shot and I got it. And I showed him in the camera. He's like, all right, you're legit. And so then we got like a whole shoot out of the thing. So it's pretty funny. Fantastic. All right. Okay. Well, let's get to the segment that we tend to do with every single person. Like I said, I know I haven't pre-warned you, but it is it is simple. It, we call it loves and loathes. Okay. And it's simply this. When we say, what do you really love about the industry or what you do or whatever, what's the first thing that comes to mind thinking, yeah, I love that? Well, when you get something that's unique and new and creative and, you know, there's there are moments when, you know, often in live music, if some, just something happens that is like you take the shot and you're like, wow, that was a really special moment and I, and I got that. That's a very, very good feeling. Um, you know, there, there are these just unique moments that only happen. My, I always try to be where other photographers are not. Like there could be a cluster of photographers or always in front of the singer. I know the singer is going to come to the other side of the stage, so I wait over there. So there's, there are moments where the, you know, Tom York Radiohead, I keep going back to the show, but it's so good. And he was singing a song called uh, Full Stop. And he's like, you really messed up everything. And he sings with his eyes closed and all the photographers right in front of him. And I'm down the stage shooting from the side. And he says, you really messed up everything. And then he opened his eyes and turned and looked right at me and kept singing, you really messed up everything. Oh, God, like it really freaked me out. But it was like such a rush. And so I like when I get these unique moments in front of the, you know, that I only, I'm the only one that got the shot, but there are, you know, so many people around. It's, that stuff's kind of cool to me. Cool. All right. So on the flip side of that, then, it's, like I say, loves and loathes. So, and it doesn't have to be what you loathe, what you don't like. It could be what would you change. But if I said loathes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I mean, there are some people, generally it's like publicists and stuff around talent that can be, um, I'm trying to be diplomatic, they can be intense, um, you know, very micromanage I guess I don't like I don't like people that take themselves more seriously than they should you know what I mean like usually like yeah, the bigger yeah. the talent oh, yeah. the, usually the bigger actors and actresses and musicians they're super cool and they're down to earth and want to have a conversation and stuff but then their people are just like ah, <laughs> you know don't touch the merchandise like Mariah Carey you know what I mean it's like so that kind of stuff turns me on because it's just like we're all people. You know, you've got a job to do. I've got a job to do. And I, I have one more quick story. Can I share it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that same space shooting for Canon um, at Sundance, Ethan Hawke walked in. The same space with the Selena Gomez deal happened. So Ethan Hawke walked in and um, and I let him get settled in and he's, you know, grabs a granola bar or whatever. And then it's a very small space. And so I walk around the corner. I'm like, hey, uh, would you mind if I grab a quick photo? And he's like, oh, yeah. What the, what the hell else am I going to do? It's been almost four seconds since someone's taken my picture. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, I apologize for interrupting. Never mind. He's like, oh, just take the picture. I'm like, oh, no, no. He's like, just take it. And so I, uh, so I snapped a picture and. And then like awkwardly walk around him and go back behind the counter where my computer was and start working on my computer. And like we're in this small space and it's like uncomfortable silence. If like a minute and a half, two minutes goes by and he walks up to me and goes, hey, man, I- I'm sorry I was a jerk. But, you know, I just I haven't eaten and there's paparazzi out there. But, you know, 
I, I'm Ethan. And he shook my hand like, oh, I'm Matt. I, I totally cool. get it. He's like, I'm here to promote my movie. We all are. So I, you got a job to do. I got a job to do. I'm sorry. I'm like, no worries, man. And so we had a short conversation. And then uh, fast forward to last year, he was guest of honor at the Seattle Film Festival. And they told me that I was, you know, assigned to him for a day, basically. I thought, oh, man, what, which, which version am I going to mm-hmm. get? Dude, couldn't have been nicer, funnier. What he asked, like, let's do a selfie, like, you know, all these fun poses and stuff. <laughs> and so you get the best and the worst of people. But Marissa Tomei and Don Johnson, they, they, can, they were jerks, just period, in that space. Straight <laughs> up. Like, yeah. Wow. Wow. But Don Johnson, like, he was just exactly how you'd expect him to be, like, nah, whatever. Nah. Oh. Before we go into the wrap-up, just one quick thing, because you did briefly touch on it there. For all the gearheads listening, what do you shoot? What's your kind of general setup? Are you? I guess you're a Canon shooter. I'm a Canon shooter. 1DX Mark II is my primary body. I've got a 5D Mark III as backup, um, but it's just on its last leg. I mean, that thing is beat to heck. Um I my main bo- uh, lenses are 24 to 70 f2.8 and 70 to 200, and so those are always on my person no matter what I'm shooting. I've got a 16 to 35 and a 15 millimeter fisheye. I brought a 400 f2.8 Mark III out to Alaska this last week, and that's the first time I'd used the Mark III. That was really something special. That thing is so light and sharp and fast. A lot of music, I'll rent a 300 F2.8 if I'm put at the soundboard. So you're either in the photo pit or at the soundboard in most cases. And so soundboard's pretty far away. Um, where a 400's ideal, but it's so much more expensive to rent. And so I do the 300, and um, that generally gets the job done for me. But that's the main main kit and caboodle. All right. Well, one thing I, I want to make sure that people are aware of is where they can find you. And we spoke about your Instagram because your Instagram feed is just fascinating when you're scrolling through it. Loads of pictures you can you'll get to see if you go onto it, folks who are listening. If you get to go onto his Instagram, you'll see the photos that Matt's referred to in some of the stories. So definitely head onto it. But Matt, what's your username on Instagram so that folks know to go and check that out? It's Matt Hayward Photo. Keep in mind though, it's Matt with one T, like a doormat. So Matt Hayward Photo. <laughs> People walk all over me. It's okay. I like it. So, yeah, give it a follow. I'd appreciate it. Right now, it's just my mom looking in there and liking everything. So if your listeners could sign on, that'd be great. Fantastic. And is, and is there anywhere else that you'd like uh, people to head to, apart from maybe your website? Oh, Matt Hayward Photo. Yeah, .com. Thanks. Also with That's one easy. T. I forgot all about it. MattHaywardPhoto.com. It's, it's a little out of date, but it's got some good stuff in there. Lots of the Oscars and... Well, I've, I've got that up on on the one of the screens here, and I can see straight away the Kevin Bacon picture with the window. That's, ah. that's there on the homepage. Yeah, I can see that. He should that Matt Hayward should have a blue tick. He should be verified. Absolutely, he's, on Instagram, he's busted his chops. He's earned, earned his stripes here. <laughs> Don't think I haven't tried. They're like, yeah, whatever, Hayward, get out of here. Yeah, Please. I tried. They said, send in your ID. I'm like, oh, I might be getting somewhere. They've asked my ID. Send it, and I just got a message going, nah, nah. <laughs> Take yeah. one look at You're you. You're not famous. <laughs> well, you gotta, well, listen, well, I mean, we've taken up we've taken up quite a lot of your time tonight, Matt. But we're both genuine. I, I said to Dave, this is going to be good. Yeah, and it's gone so quick. It has gone so say, like, quick. An hour's gone quick. What's yeah. it been? Twenty it's minutes? Brilliant. Oh, it's an hour. Oh man. Yeah, we only wanted we only wanted ten minutes with you. <laughs> <laughs> taking liberties. <Sorry. laughs> <laughs> well, I will obviously see you at Adobe Max and we'll have a beer because we haven't had a chance to do that yet. Um, yeah. And it'll be quiet, you know. There'll only be like a couple of hundred people 
Sure. Maybe 16,000. Who knows? <laughs> Presumably you'll be in the keynote. Oh, Lord, no. I'm not doing the keynote at max. Are you kidding me in front of those 16,000 people? Oh, man. Come on. You'd watch me just pass <laughs> you... out on stage, unconscious. <laughs> It'd be memorable, it. though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it will be. It certainly would. But, um, yeah, thank you, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really good to get to know you more. And uh, and I hope our listeners will check out your um, check out your site. Go, go and buy it. some stock as well. Sure. Yeah, it. thanks for Brilliant. having me, you guys. This is a real pleasure a real privilege i i'm grateful thank you not at all thank I, you before, just before you go i just thought one question this is really cruel and i've got two daughters so i i will put myself in this place do you shoot your kids for stock absolutely have since they were very young and it's been a great excuse and opportunity because a lot of times like i said i shoot so much for entertainment stuff last thing i want to do at home is pick up my camera but that is like that has been my motivation and I've documented the lives of my kids. We have so many really fun photos that I was doing for stock, but now I look back like, Oh, my oldest just started college Whitworth university just this week. And, uh, and I'm looking back, I see sales come in from when she was like five, six years old. Like, Oh my gosh, that little kid, you know? And so, yeah, they're really, and they see their pictures often of the main question is then who's the most profitable child. (laughs) My dog Hudson. That's my. He's my. He's my best-selling model by far. Like he's a good-looking golden retriever, and I bought him just because of his looks. My wife wanted like good temperament and all that, and I'm like, no, he needs to be handsome. I, so we, yeah, we, I need a stock dog. Shallow. <laughs> oh, How was that for a good, politically right, correct you. answer? That's a great answer, oh. <laughs> Matt. Thanks so much, and uh, hopefully catch up with you soon. Yes, thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you.